six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at two thirteen. Clear the tower. Prepare What is going on, everybody? 10 o'clock on a Saturday, and we are here. The Science Knights are assembled. We have Dr. Thomas Schiller, Dr. Sean Graham, and Dr. Otterbon Bhattacharjee here in the studio. They're going to be talking a little bit about CRISPR. And I don't know anything about this. I'm assuming it's something to do with genes and modifying genes. But uh, at first glance, it kind of sounds a little tasty. Why don't you tell us about it? All right, thanks, Conley, uh, and good morning, West Texas. We are the Science Knights. Um, as Conley said, today we're going to be talking about a, a topic that's been in the news recently, a really important topic um, related to a discovery recently made in, in cellular and molecular biology, um, CRISPR. Now, um, what we're going to do today is try to, try to explain what exactly CRISPR is, um, why it's important, and some of the controversies surrounding CRISPR. But before we get into the to the, the juicy details about CRISPR, um, Dr. Graham, would you mind kind of filling in our audience about what exactly a gene is and what genetic engineering or genetic modification is? Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> DNA, uh, a lot of people realize what it is, but maybe not exactly. Uh, it is kind of a, a weird topic that people seem to know a lot about, but exactly what it is and what it does is, is not that clear. So you D also have the RNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's different kinds of uh, uh, DNA and RNA are both kinds of nucleotides. Uh, they have a certain chemical structure and they're involved in heredity. So DNA is essentially the way that organisms store information. And the information that, that's being stored there is basically instructions on how to make proteins. And we mentioned this before on another episode when we talked about genetically modified organisms. Uh, so DNA, if you, if you want to think about it, every organism, including you, has this huge library of information. You can think about it as a giant uh, dictionary, right, uh, with millions of pages. And all those little letters in the dictionary are the individual nucleotides. The, the little individual letters that make up DNA are, uh, you, you might have seen it before on TV, it's like a little readout that has G, C's, A's, and T's in different combinations, G, C's, A's, and T's. Those are the individual nucleotides of DNA. And um, what they do is a little three-letter acronym, a GCC or AAA or TTT, those stand for amino acids. And amino acids are put together to make proteins. So a gene, in that analogy, for your big dictionary with all the information that is there to make you, uh, a gene would be a single page of that dictionary that, and that page stands for a protein. And so, again, proteins do everything. So basically talking about you would have in a gene multiple DNA molecules in there, right? Yeah, lots that, of, a whole page of letters. A whole page. Uh, and, of, and really, in, in reality, is something like, you know, 40,000 uh, kilobase pairs. So, like, it's millions of those G's, C's, A's, and T's that, that make a, so that make a protein. May, or make a gene. Yeah. Make yeah. a gene. And then we also know there's a thing called genome, right? 
A genome? Genome yep. project. So we talk about, and that is mapping out the entire different types of genes a person can have or a he animal. Right. That, this yeah. is a huge project that we have under, like yeah. we have and, taken, right? Well, yeah, well, it's already done. We, yeah, we finished it uh, back in the early 2000s oh, for the human genome. We are and, doing and it for currently them. people are, are, are sequencing uh, genomes of all life on Earth. And, and we're getting really a lot better at it. It's getting cheaper. And so, you know, when, when the, uh, the first genomes were... Uh, being sequenced, figuring out what the exact sequence of all the little GCs, A's and T's in a whole organism's, all of its genetic material. You know, one of the first ones we did was one uh, a bacteria, E. coli, because mm. that bacteria, and we'll talk about E. coli again, it's a, it's a famous study organism that's really easy to grow in a lab, so you want to know everything about it, and people have done stuff with it. So... You know, we did E. coli a long time ago, but then when we set out to map the entire human genome, that was a much bigger undertaking. Of course, uh, we're done with that, too, and we're getting more and more genomes. And the genome, all the genetic material of an organism is equivalent to that whole book that is you, so, with all the pages indicating a different gene. So let's, uh, let, let me put it this way. Like if I was to uh, go talk to somebody, and in my head, I've always like wanted to visualize this. It seems like... You have this huge dictionary. Let's say that's the genome. That's yeah. a, you know, English language dictionary, that's your genome right there. And then you go to uh, letter A. That might be the gene. A, let's say letter, letter A is the gene. And it has all the type of possible combination that the A letter, the words that will start out with A have for that matter. And inside that A, you will have now corresponding different words, which can now represent your DNAs in there. Would you say that's a good way of saying that? Hmm. It's like a breaking down step by I think, step. I think, uh, I'm not sure if that, because, you know, maybe maybe the different letters could indicate different kind of classes of proteins that are being made by the different pages. Okay. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's so in we weird ways, DNA is, uh, you know, it's way more complex than we're talking about because mm -hmm. it's not just a dictionary. It would yeah. be like a ton of dictionaries. That's how much genetic information is in a yes. And at the same time, though, the, the letters that make the, the words are more simple. There's it's only four, four letters yes. uh, that can combine to make three what we call codons, or sorry, it's not three total. It's uh, there's about 24 different codons. Sorry, there's 24 different amino acids and about 60 codons, which are those three-letter combinations of A's, G's, C's, and T's that make just 24 amino acids. That's it. And so, it's in some ways, like to try to to try to analogize it to human language, it's, there's there's differences. Yeah. And so, our 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 words are way more complex. The number of letters that we can use to make words are more complex. Yet, DNA uh, being more simple in terms of the number of letters and the number of words, which are just three letter codons. Uh, and the the total number of guess uh, what they translate to those little proteins way more simple. Yet. Think of the complexity you can get. Uh, and we have about 20,000 genes, or, uh, you know, the numbers vary depending on what textbook you look at. Uh, way fewer genes than were, would have been expected uh, after the Human Genome Project was done. We're like, wow, there's way fewer genes in a human than we ever expected, uh, given the complexity of humans. But you can do weird things with those genes. You can uh, you can take a single gene and you can cut it up and, and turn it into a different kind of protein depending on how you kind of edit it, mm. how you splice it together. And that's that's how those kind of things lead to more complexity. And it leads all that leads to a bunch of different kinds of proteins. 
uh, and that's what the name of the game is. DNA again is is good for two things. It can make it can, it can uh, serve as a template for its own replication. If you pull it apart and add the uh, corresponding sequence on the other side, it's easy enough to pull DNA apart and replicate it. And the other thing it does is it serves as the uh, the code to make proteins. So I, I do want to make sure, like, uh, if for people who do not uh, who do not know what DNA looks like, it is basically a helical structure with two uh, uh, sets of molecules basically uh, spiraling one another. Uh, and in between that, think of a, like a ladder which spirals around. That yeah, would be a good it's a, picture. It's a twisted ladder. Twisted ladder. And, so. uh, and each strand is going in opposite directions from each other. That has directionality. And the really cool thing about it that makes it easy to replicate is that what we call complementary base pairing. So the little uh, nucleotide with its G, C, or T, if, if there's a G on one side, there's always a C on the other side. And if there's an A on one side, there's always a T on the other side. So if you pull it apart and you have the G and A on one side and you add the C and T on the other, um, you've essentially replicated the DNA super easy. It's, it's a really elegant way to do it. So um, this kind of brings up uh, what we're going to be talking about today with CRISPR. Um, CRISPR, the modification or the use of CRISPR is, is how we're doing one of these wacky type of, of uh, genetic engineering or genetic modifications, or p potentially we could. Um, and the implications behind that are really, are really kind of critical. Um, it's important that we, that we understand that we've, we have the capabilities of, of recognizing, identifying, and locating different, different uh, strands of DNA, what they're for. Um, but with this new discovery, we can we can actually modify that, right? Yeah, yeah. And we've we've been able to modify uh, genes uh, for you know a pretty a couple decades now, mm -hmm. uh, but it's been kind of slow and it's been kind of hard. Uh, for for the longest time, uh, we've used what are called restriction enzymes to make cuts in DNA and to try, try to insert new genetic material into certain organisms. That's how you can make genetically modified organisms. Restriction enzymes uh, will do a double, it'll break both sides of that DNA strand in two places, and then you can kind of cut in whatever material you want, or maybe even to cut out material to introduce a mutation on purpose. And restriction enzymes, the problem with those, the reason why they're not easy to use is because they, they will only cut DNA at a certain place. It actually seeks out a, a, a you know a, a little letter sequence G C A T whatever, and it finds that little spot and it cuts DNA there. So we've been kind of limited into where we can cut DNA. Uh, it's been it's been really uh, it's been difficult, but we've done a lot of cool things so far. You know, for a while, uh, a couple and most of the kind of cutting we do is in organisms that are really well studied to where we can manage it really easy. So E. coli, fruit flies, and the laboratory mouse. So those have, those have kind of and we've done great things with just those three organisms. We learned a lot by having limited ability to do editing uh, on a limited number of, of creatures. CRISPR allows us to do cuts anywhere we want in any genome. That's the game changer. And I know that, that may not sound that big, uh, but it means that now we can easily edit human genome. It means that we can easily edit anything. If you wanted to study a salamander, uh, there's, no, there's no problem. In the, uh, from my point of view, being like a guy who studies amphibians and reptiles, you know, you can never do these kind of cool physiological studies like they do on mice 
I'll give you an example. We, we have what are called knockout mice, and we, we've been doing that for 20 years. You can purposefully introduce a genetic defect into a mouse by doing some cuts, introducing a mutation on purpose, and you do this in a little embryonic little mouse cell, and then you introduce that into a mama mouse, and then she has a little baby that has a genetic disorder. And you do that to study human genetic disorders, right? We're not just, we're not, we don't care about mice. We use it because mice are close enough to humans where you can get, and lo and behold, you do, you introduce a knockout mouse that maybe has some kidney function disorder. And it's exactly like a kidney function disorder in a human that you can't study that way because you can't do experiments on humans. And that's why we make knockout mice. And uh, I was going to say one thing. And so what we do is, so as I'm assuming, that the, when the scientists look um, <clears throat> um, for these genes to edit and stuff, uh, they're usually looking at the genes that are common in both mice and humans, right? That would be the a target. They, you wouldn't just uh, do it on something that is oh, completely yeah. as yeah, 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 yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> people do kind of do these fishing expeditions where they're just kind of screening, looking for whatever they want. But usually it's directed towards... Uh, something that has human application. So a great example, I always use this one in my classes. There's a, cl- a great picture of two mice, one of which is about four times the size of the other. It's, it's overweight. It's, it's uh, you know, yeah, it's obese. And so the purpose for that experiment, they used a knockout mouse where they knocked out the function of a, uh, of a hormone called leptin, mm. which is involved with satiety. When you feel better after you eat and you're, you're done, you're, you're finished, right? So they messed with leptin in mice and found that they couldn't get these things to stop eating, right, whenever they had leptin disorders. And so they, they were doing that because they were hoping they, that this would have applications where they could somehow treat humans with obesity with some sort of leptin, you know, enhancer. Mm. And then you'd you'd feel better after only eating a few calories. How amazing would that have been if it worked? It didn't. Yeah, it didn't work. Of course not. Turns out the, the key difference between mice and humans, humans are way better at putting on lots of pounds because in our kind of evolutionary history, we had to go a long time without eating. And when we got back from, you know, two months on the hunt without getting any food and we suddenly had a buffet, we would put back on pounds. And that, that unique ability of uh, humans to have, like, kind of become skinny and that get really big is one of the big problems uh, that makes it impossible for us to, uh, you know, work the same way as a mouse. Mice are different. And also another thing about humans is we have to understand we do have a higher some sort of a higher, I would not uh, put it in that regard, as like abstract thinking comparatively, like yeah, even psychologically, psychologically I think it's probably, you could probably overcome if, yeah. if you're like, still, I want to eat that pizza even though I feel good, you know? Yeah, it's the week after Thanksgiving while we're recording <laughs> yeah. this, so we, we, we all felt that last week. Yeah. One, more, one more serving of turkey. Yeah, so psychologically, yeah, there's uh, that complexity might make yeah. a difference, but the kind of point is, you know, we have, we've had the capacity to do that with mice and other uh, really well-studied organisms, and the whole point of studying things like fruit flies and bacteria and mice is not to know more about fruit flies. It's to know more. It's amazing how many genes humans and fruit flies have in common. You can learn a lot about people from studying Isn't fruit flies. Isn't it like uh, true also like Sarah of butting in is like uh, banana has like 70% of the yeah, genes yeah. basically. It's, I don't know if it's 70, but they're, yeah, because they're, you know, we're, we're uh, eukaryotes. We're, we're uh, organisms that have nucleated cells. And if you have nucleated cells, you've got a lot of material 
ideal for cellular activity in common with other things, even though they don't look anything like you. And uh, one thing I would like to point out when uh, Sean was talking about is we do this things on E. coli uh, bacteria and stuff like that. This growing this. So I was looking at this like nice little small video. Uh, any um, layman with even no knowledge of biology can grow bacteria in their house. Like you just need a like a slide, and you can just need. Oh, you're egg. growing bacteria in your house on your upper lip. You no, know? it's yeah, all over the place. Yeah, in my nose and like yeah. so. so uh, no, I was going to say like if for an experimental purpose, like you can just have an agar plate and oh, just sure. have a yeah. bacteria uh, on it and it's allow easy. it. It's and easy. It's very like, easy. A lot of the a lot of these kind of so. uh, DNA cloning techniques and uh, and very splicing techniques, introducing new genetic material into bacteria. That's stuff that has been going on for so long and is so easy to do now that uh, like sophomore level students at universities are doing this. And here's the thing that's crazy. Uh, and well, let's get back to CRISPR. CRISPR is so easy to use that it, the same thing's going to happen. In fact, I just met a, 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 an undergraduate student at a, a university from New Mexico who told me that he was working with CRISPR. So uh, before we get into CRISPR and all those, how would, how much would a machine like which does? I'm assuming you need a setup. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, not super on. cheap, but the cost is is cheap enough to where uh, it's within the realm of like your ordinary biology lab cost fees. You know, like okay. for a university where they're going to have a certain amount of money to pay for for reagents and things like that uh -huh. to do in the lab and all the little vials and the pipettes. It's within the realm of an ordinary university's uh, budget. So That's we can cheap. easily basically, what do you say? We can do we, it at SolarOS. Uh, so we can yeah. do it at SolarOS. Yeah, there's some of these things that we've got the stuff laying around. Uh, we could do it at SolarOS. So we no can problem. just put in a request for this and hopefully yeah, it gets bit, granted. A little yeah. bit, well, a little bit more money for, I, I don't know, and I wouldn't know the foggiest thing about how to do CRISPR, but with all these kind of molecular techniques, what it comes down to is it's always like a cookbook. Yeah. You have these instructions. It's much more precise. So you're not doing that thing where you're like, well, a pinch of salt. It's like, you know, 10 Not alchemy. Yeah, it's 10 microliters of this. It's, it's real precise stuff and you got to keep it clean you got to uh but it's so i've got a little a of this kind of stuff, kind of stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah with dna kind of stuff you want a clean room mm -hmm. you're gonna be wiping so it by down. the by the way when we talk about a clean room we are talking about a really really sterilized room uh, uh, to the uh, how much we can um, uh, get it, but uh, uh, so we have to yeah, make any that kind of yeah. just a small strand of DNA in your sample can contaminate. And you have to wear hazmat suits and everything and get well. Uh, wouldn't you say that? I would think like if you want, it's not, not, not hazmat, but, but, uh, uh, but it's like close. A, it's close. close. Yeah. yeah, you'd be wearing. Uh, you look. You look like a scientist yeah. when you're doing this. It sounds like Honor Bond's gearing up to do <laughs> this in his living room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is so this? I, <laughs> what are you trying to grow? Pipettes. What are you trying to grow? <laughs> and some CRISPR machines. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to define CRISPR and talk about why it's so important. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back, West Texas. We are the Science Knights. Today we are talking about genes, and specifically we're talking about uh, this, this relatively new discovery of CRISPR. So, uh, Dr. Graham, what, what exactly is CRISPR? What does it stand for, and why is it important? Yeah, CRISPR is an acronym for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeat. And molecular what? biology has a an acronym problem, guys. It's got a big acronym problem. All these things, uh, it's very complex, and molecular biologists love to create acronyms. And if you read any of the papers in molecular biology, 
they're what I call a word soup. Uh, it, it'll just be uh, a bunch of TLAs, which are three-letter acronyms, and then a bunch of you know FLAs, four-letter acronyms. And it's just full of acronyms. They're always defined first at the beginning of the paper, you know, and then it just goes away. So you're constantly having to go back to look, and they're, they're a nightmare to read these papers. And uh, and also, uh, it is not just your field. It is something is yeah. normal for every field. Is basically if you're not. I don't know, yeah. man. I, I've I, if. <laughs> I, I think I've I've read some stuff in other fields and and these papers are practically you can barely read them. No, I'm just saying like even in a normal field with normal usage yeah, of yeah. acronyms, yeah, still acronyms are are, are common of, in science, but the, yeah. the, they go into overdrive. So this is an acronym, and what that's referring to this palindromic repeat. What they're talking about, palindrome is like a word that's you know the same going one way as it is the other, right? Like ABBA. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we talked about those GCs, As, and Ts, so if it said, you know, T-A-T-A, that's, I guess that's not one. A-T-T-A would be A-T-T-A, a palindrome. Yeah. And so somebody back, they were discovered, This these little palindromic repeats were discovered back in 1987 by people who were working on E. coli. E. coli, a little bacteria. And they found in its gene, in parts of its genome, they found these little short repeating uh, palindromes, and they weren't even, they didn't know what they were even for. Um, and they just, you know, noted it, wrote a paper about it, said, hey, there are these things. We're going to call them CRISPR. And then it kind of went away. Nobody really knew anything about what they did until people kind of came back later to study them and realized that what essentially they are are these little collections of DNA. Uh, that are saved by bacteria from previous infections with viruses. So viruses can invade bacteria too. We call them bacteriophages. And viruses are just little pieces of genetic material. Often they can be uh, single-stranded RNA. They can be single-stranded DNA. They can be double-stranded DNA. They can be all, it's just a little piece of genetic material that hijacks a cell's uh, you know, molecular mechanisms to make uh, new pieces of DNA. And then they, so they'll get inside bacteria, use the bacteria's machinery to make copies of itself. And then they have uh, the audacity to leave that bacteria and kill it on the way out. If they didn't kill the host cell, it probably wouldn't be that bad. And maybe we'd never even know what DNA were, but uh, sorry, what viruses were. So anyway, some bacteria will actually save little pieces of the DNA that have previously invaded them. So that it's almost like an adaptive immune response. Uh, They'll cut the DNA up with these enzymes. And the part of CRISPR that's called CRISPR-Cas9, that Cas9 thing is the enzyme that can actually make the cut to DNA. And it'll cleave DNA at a certain point. uh, And those little repeats and their associated genetic material that are supposed to actually figure out a part of the bacteriophage that is specific to that bacteria so that it can cleave a, a bacteria a, a virus that has invaded it before so it basically remembers when a virus has come so, back uh, so let's uh, take one little step back so cas9 is an enzyme yeah. and enzymes are basically um, um, you would say uh, how would you is, is an, en- is, an enzyme is just a protein, protein. that, that uh, Basically, sh- shortens the amount of time a chemical reaction, reaction can o- yeah. occur. And, and so there's all kinds of chemical reactions in life forms that uh, are very uh, unfavorable, that don't want to move forward. Yeah. That enzymes will create conditions to make them go forward quickly. And that's one of the most amazing things that proteins do is act as enzymes. And so what this does that's unfavorable, DNA, once it's bound together in those nice long mm-hmm. strands, it's really hard to break it. 
the bonds between each individual nucleotide are very strong and it's very favorable to stay put once you're built. This thing will just whack it totally in half, which is very unfavorable chemically, but it'll do it. Um, it'll do a double-stranded break. It's important to note that when your own cells, uh, you know, copy the DNA strands, that never happens. You never just go into DNA and cut it midway. You unfurl it using these enzymes and do it in this more kind of delicate fashion. It's never like a double-stranded break. These enzymes that bacteria have can do that. The restriction enzymes that I talked about earlier and then Cas9 can do it. And these little palindromic repeats direct enzymes like Cas9 to go to a certain point at the genome. And so the people who came up with the CRISPR Cas9 kind of enzyme package said, holy crap, this means that all we have to do is guide the Cas9 enzyme to exactly where we want it to go using an artificial RNA drive, like to direct it, and we can cut DNA anywhere. And that's what that's what the CRISPR Cas9 revolution is going to be based on. Uh, so let me get this straight. So uh so now at this point we don't have to cut it uh, at the points where there uh, where the pattern is repeating itself and we can just cut it anywhere, anywhere. pretty much it yeah. doesn't yeah. matter it, so it's based yeah you know, the pa- the little palindromic repeats and uh, the little piece of DNA is saved from previous uh, infections mm-hmm. from viruses just the way the bacteria can direct a cut to okay. cleave the D- uh, the DNA of a virus so now we can make little artificial uh, stretches of RNA that will go and find its corresponding area in the DNA to cut, mm. right? So we okay. just harness this little tool that bacteria use to cut up DNA, and we can use it to cut up DNA, and we can we can further put in the package a new gene to insert. So we can cut out a part of the DNA and insert in whatever we want. And the cells, this is great, one of the best parts of this, you don't need additional enzymes to fuse it back together your cells will do that immediately as soon as you cut it out and add something in it'll come in and repair it and you don't need to do anything else the cell will do that itself it's amazing and so what this amounts to is a technical way to edit dna any way you want so what is what does that mean for us that means we can we can eliminate <coughs> genetic disorders yeah, well, so yeah it, it, illnesses. It, it, we're just now at the cusp of what it means for us uh, and I'll give you some ideas about the kinds of things that we can do first first thing that that stuff we talked about before the break about making knockout mice and doing little introducing mutations on purpose to see what will happen studying organisms that way that's gotten about a hundred times more easy now and you can study it in any organism, not just mice, fruit flies, and, and worms. You can do those kind of cuts if you want to in human cell cultures, right? Cultured cells, uh, human embryos, if you wanted to, that's actually been done, unbelievably. And uh, cancer, at its heart, is a genetic disorder. And so if the only problem now, we can already, I guarantee you right now, they could take a cancer cell and they can fix it using CRISPR. The only trouble now is how do you get CRISPR to all of the cancer cells to fix them? That's just a technical problem at this part. And once they overcome that technical hurdle, we've done it. Cancer's gone. So I want to hold on to that a little bit later. Uh, maybe we, we will discuss this about the more advantages that CRISPR will b- bring in and all those stuff. But I would also like, want to talk about a little bit. So how is CRISPR now 
different from uh, is CRISPR then the same as what we like typically hear in the news about gene therapy and stuff? It, it, so CRISPR, CRISPR gene therapy. Yeah, uh, what yeah, is gene, gene therapy, therapy? Is has been we've been working on that for a while too, and this is the idea that with a genetic disorder. Mm-hmm. Or cancer, uh, all it is is a faulty gene. And so if there's a way that you can go in there and fix the gene, that's gene therapy. Now, the only thing that we have in our toolkit right now, well, there's, or what we did have before CRISPR, uh, to deliver a good gene, right, is we have viruses that can do that. Uh, we can basically make viruses go in and fix genes because that's what viruses are good at. They've got some of the enzymes necessary to open up the DNA and insert in itself. And if you can kind of train viruses to put in a a repair gene, uh, then you're off to the races. The problem is, um, you know, the, the genome... Uh, has that same disorder if if you're born with it right if it's part uh, if it's you know a genetic thing that you inherited all your cells have it so how do you get a virus to invade all of your cells and fix it so that's that's a technical problem too if we can ever overcome that technical hurdle we've cured all genetic disorders and they're working on that uh, with CRISPR it's just made it a lot easier uh, making the little cuts, putting in a repair gene, all that stuff's got 100% easier. Oh, there's a quote from a paper I was reading where it says, for cancer research, many of the challenges in generating germline or somatic mutations have become trivial, unquote, because of CRISPR. And uh, this might be a good time. They're talking about germline versus somatic cells. Uh, most of your body cells uh, are uh, ordinary cells like hair cells, Cells inside your gut, those are what we call somatic cells, body cells. They have two pairs of chromosomes. um, And if a mutation happens to a somatic cell, uh, nothing might happen at all. Uh, But somatic cells are the ones that essentially, uh, if they're changed through various mutations, you can get cancer. Right, A skin cell can, uh, it's ordinary genes that are responsible for duplicating itself and growing. Those become faulty during a mutation during your lifetime, and then they start going haywire and they just do their own thing. The germline are those that are actually, you know, for making gametes, for making uh, sperm and egg cells. If a mutation happens to the germline, it can actually be passed on across generations, and you can be born with a mutation that maybe make it easier for you to get cancer. So... It turns out the the easiest way to fix genetic disorders will be the one that's also uh, most ethically uh, challenging or dubious. Because uh, if you want to fix genetic disorders, you know the thing to do would be to take an embryo after it's fertilized, use CRISPR to make cuts and edits, and then introduce it back into mom. And uh, talking about that, so you said every cell has chromosomes, and chromosomes in relationship to DNA. How would you? Yeah, so uh, chromosomes are you know basically just tightly wound DNA. Okay. Chromosomes also have protein, so there's a little bit of protein, a little bit of DNA, but um, it's mostly, it's actually mostly protein, but it's just a bunch of DNA wrapped around proteins into these uh, thick little sausages, basically, that when a cell divides, they have to be packaged. So basically, it's just a DNA in another configuration. So. Yeah, so it, it, think about chromosomes as just like uh, it, it, there's so much DNA in your cells that if you look under a microscope when a cell's about to divide, uh, you can actually see the DNA um, bound into those little sausage-shaped mm. chromosomes because uh, there's so much of it there. Okay, yeah. so I just wanted to make sure people have yeah. an idea. Uh, so we have uh, now on, on this stage, we we are 
ready to go into uh, CRISPR in more detail about where we can apply them and stuff like that. But even before we go, when we, I want to come back to this thing about this germ cells and germline and all, um, and somatic cells, right? And um, these uh, mutations that we talked about. So basically, what we are saying in this and yeah, is when the cells are reproducing, there is a problem with that. Uh, replication and does that's you have one way that's one way to get a mutation mutation yeah, out the cells dividing uh, and it you know it's something got co- it's got to copy all that DNA mm-hmm. before it divides the uh, the cell that results has all the DNA too and so a little mistake can be made just one one of those little G's could be replaced with a C or an A with a T or vice versa and that's all it takes that's called a point mutation where it's just a single base pair change and that's all it takes. Or it can be big stuff, like whole segments of chromosomes attached to another. It can be big, it can be small, but that, that's all a mutation is. It's just a chance difference in the uh, genetic code. And this brings us back to like the uh, thing about enzymes and bonds being very strong. What we have to remember is one of the things is bonds break because you have to give them energy. So if you provide things with sufficient enough energy to chemicals inside your body, they will break and they will create weird things. And that is why being in a radioactive environment is where you have really highly energetic particles. Yeah. Is That's where the problem comes in. They interact with your uh, molecules in your body and the split them up in a ways which you don't want them to yeah, split yeah. them up. That, uh, that's radioactive material, uh, carcinogens, gins. chemicals. There's, there's ways of inducing mutations, but of course a mutation, it doesn't have to be induced. You could have cancer and not ever have come in contact with a carcinogen or it might not have resulted from contact with a carcinogen. It would just be a chance uh, you know, uh, no, I'm not saying that carcinogens, I, but I'm saying like uh, with radioactivity being in a nuclear yes. reactor without, be, without being shielded, you're definitely, your chances, yeah. it, it is pretty much you are on a 99% yeah. probability. If yeah. you're not shielded up, you're going to get cancer. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. So, and, um, and so making, so this is how we get this. And sometimes, uh, and there are other things we have, ge- and now bring it back to genetic disorders, which are transmitted through humans, uh, like from m- mom and dad, like one of the common things we do know is hemophilia that would be a genetic disorder that is not a, a right right a, 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 a mutation you know uh your clotting doesn't work work yeah there's lots of things like that and another ge- not a genetic would be insulin like for diabetes would you say that is genetic or not is that would be no there's definitely genetic Gen- predispositions okay. for that kind of thing so it's it's obvious um how useful this this discovery could potentially be in the future but uh, when we come back from the break we're going to talk a little bit about some of the controversy behind it because obviously there is some some potential com- controversy all right welcome back we are the science knights today we're talking about crispr um, now before we get into some of the controversial topics related to crispr and genetic modification and all that um, let's talk about some of the, the the good things that could come out of this discovery yeah, thanks, Thomas. Uh, main things, uh, I'll, I'll give you guys kind of a slice of what researchers are currently using CRISPR for right now. Um, this is kind of the cutting edge. Uh, one of the things is creating, you know, knockouts. It's really easy now, uh, knocking out a gene. So you can put a bunch of cell cultures of various cells in a, in a, in a bunch of a multi-row plate and use a computer to design uh, specific knockouts of specific genes and then run them through a screen and kind of determine what function has been lost. 
Uh, and this is just a great way for research to study function in cells. And that, that's something they're already working on. Um, and you can do this like thousands of genes at a time because of CRISPR and because of computers. Um, for cancer, uh, University of Pennsylvania has uh, gotten approval from the FDA to uh, use CRISPR to modify ho- uh, white blood cells from patients to attack cancer. So their white blood cells, your white blood cells already, if they're good, they already go after cancer. They can tell a, a, a faulty cell of your own cell. It's hard to do because those cancer cells, after all, are your cells. So that's one of the ways that cancer is pretty bad is because it can evade your immune system. But uh, your immune system can locate cancer cells and kill them, and it does all the time. I guarantee you most of our listeners here have had faulty cells harvested and killed by your own immune system so far. But sometimes they don't notice those cells because they're, you know, for whatever reason. So the University of Pennsylvania harvested white blood cells from patients with cancer. They knocked out three genes that were preventing them from noticing or uh, from proliferating fast enough to control the cancer. And they uh, showed varying results. It was only a study of like three or four patients. But that's a that's a great like training your own immune system using CRISPR, maybe developing antibodies using CRISPR that can recognize cancer. That's a way of doing this without having to do any kind of really hardcore modification of the host. All you're doing is taking the patient's white blood cells, modifying them, putting back them to the same patient. Right. So you avoid all of that kind of ethical, scary stuff. Gene therapy. Trying to use uh, CRISPR to modify genes of people who have genetic disorders, and there, with the problem with that is just the delivery system. How do you get that CRISPR and the new gene into all those cells? There's ways to do that with harmless viruses. There's ways to do that with lipid nanoparticles. There's ways to do that with a technique called electroporation, where you're just kind of shaking up the cells using an electric current to introduce the CRISPR package, right? So you're not even using a virus. This works real well for uh, if you have a genetic disorder that's only affecting a local tissue. If you wanted to try to fix somebody's pancreas and change the genes in just the pancreas or the eyeball or something like that, this works. If it's a genetic disorder that's affecting all the cells in the body, it's going to be hard because you've got to deliver that gene to all the cells in the body. But if you just want to do a local fix... CRISPR is going to be a game changer for that. And uh, one way we can, like one of the uh, things that we can think of as not a local is hemophilia, which is in fact, which affects the entire body. So that would be hard. But what I think with CRISPR, what you can do is treat the parents uh, from being, or rather the, in I, this case, hemophilia, it would be the mother. I think the, pl- the point where you'd want to do it, uh, if you're trying to fix a genetic disorder like that, and th- this is where people are going to get real squeamish. The embryo, Embry- when it's just two cells or one cell. Uh, and, you know, this would be kind of like, uh, you know, a test tube baby, right? Uh, you, would, you would donate your egg. You do in vitro fertilization. And you could do that with real mom yeah. and dad, right? And it's that's all, been around for like a oh, long time. Oh, yeah, we've time. been doing that forever. Yeah. And then you got that just one cell now. And then you use CRISPR when it's just one cell to fix the genetic disorder and then put the cell back in the mom. And let me tell the listeners right now, nobody's talking about doing that yet because we don't know what the implications implications would be. Although I got to back off that because a Chinese scientist did do that. But nobody here in the U.S. is talking about doing that. I'll also mention to the listeners that China is all over this. Like they've... 
made leaps and bounds with AI technology. They're doing the same thing with CRISPR, and they're being very secretive about what they're doing. They're not publishing all their results. They saw what happened when their scientists did a fix to an embryo, and it made it made everybody panic, and it caused a worldwide sensation of condemnation. And so now they're just being super secretive about so, all the, what uh, they're up Let's to. Uh, hold on to that one, the ethics of that. Um, I uh, uh, Let's uh, talk more about the good things about CRISPR, and um, it can help. For example... Uh, uh, we can make our plants even more bug resistant for yeah, that yeah. matter. For, and, for uh, all, all the things, if, if you're comfortable with genetically modified organisms, so, then CRISPR is just going to make all that so much easier and cheaper. Yeah. All the all the things that we can do using the power of genes to, to introduce, you know, uh, plants that can uptake nutrients quicker and maybe uh, uh, reduce our pesticide use by using genetic modifications mm-hmm. to kill mosquitoes and that sort of thing. All that stuff's going to get easier. And just one more medically significant one. One of the major cancers uh, and many problems uh, that you can get that are genetic in origin are uh, problems with your blood cells. You know, lymphoma, mm-hmm. leukemia. Yeah. Those are, those are uh, genetic disorders, uh, you know, cancers in your bone marrow cells. Well, the cool thing about that, then it becomes localized, and bone cells are, are bone marrow cells are stem cells. They can stem. become different kinds. And so, you, what we were working on right now, they're working on uh, therapy for sickle cell anemia mm-hmm. because that at its heart is a genetic disorder to red blood cells, and they're formed in the bone marrow. And then white blood cells that you know lead to lymphoma, leukemia. There, you know, we're already doing kinds of things where we do uh, bone marrow transplants and that sort of thing. And the the thing what you do there is you just kind of take one healthy cell out of the bone marrow of a patient, or you get a donated blood cell from uh, someone who's a relative, and then you bombard that patient with chemicals or radioactivity that can kill all the bone marrow cells, and then you replace the bone marrow with healthy cells. And then it grows back really quickly. And then it reestablishes their immune system and their blood cell system. Now, you could use CRISPR to modify the patient's bone marrow cell to fix sickle cell, introduce it back into the patient, and they're cured of sickle cell anemia. Uh, Cured. Or basically... do another thing I was thinking like uh, so the uh, stem cell that we are talking about is like also like the T cells and stuff like that right yeah all yeah. the all the so, really cool immune cells you've so, ever heard about B cells that make antibodies so, T cells T helper cells so, all those are made in the bone marrow so if there's any genetic disorder to any of those kind of cells I think in just a few years we're going to be able to fix all and, of that and what we can do is basically instead of not even have to replace it what we can do is go to the part of the part of the uh, not uh, so, quick question: Is the bone marrow has it been produced entirely throughout, or is it been controlled by? Of course, brain controls everything. Can we instead like do something at that part where, and then that it in itself will just produce that type of uh, well, I healthy? Think you could probably try to do some targeted CRISPR yeah. editing in the bone marrow itself, the bone marrow cells. But the reason why we do those really kind of uh, overpoweringly. Uh, you know, troubling things like, you know, bombarding people mm-hmm. with chemicals for uh, treating cancers because you want to make sure all the defective cells are killed. Gone, okay. And that's hard to do because how you, you're yeah. going to be in okay. the bone marrow. So the way they do it, they just kind of clean the slate using chemicals or radioactivity. It's it's, ta- it's tough. The patient has a hard time. You lose your hair. You lose a lot of your fast-growing cells, but then you can recover from that. And if they get every last one, it just takes a single bone marrow stem cell to replace all of those cells. And if you replace all those, if you replace it with one that's been fixed, 
with CRISPR. It's the it's the it's the patient's actual cell, and it will reestablish itself, and that's wonderful. This is a way. Uh, it's a really good thing, especially for that kind of a local effect. And like I said, this is something people are working on. It's FDA approved. They're working on it right now. This could be, you know, within 10 years, we could be seeing leukemia, lymphoma, sickle cell anemia, all of that stuff. Anything that has to do with uh, bone marrow cells. We have a high chance of getting that we got, a, we got a, a high, high, really high probability yeah, that uh, all that stuff go away. In a much less painful way. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the second thing, um, I was going to talk about more fun side about now. Let's talk about. So we all know there are life forms that are, uh, we call them as extremophiles, which survive in extremely uh, extreme conditions. And. And there are um, bacteria and uh, stuff which will survive at over 100 degrees Celsius, which is a, a temperature of boiling water. They can survive in water which is like extremely salty. They can survive in water which is extremely cold, where we would not do. So they push their enzymes and the protein enzymes to function at a certain level where our normal human body or normal animals would not do that. So... Can CRISPR take those things and put it in our human body so that we can walk around <laughs> in an, uh, shots the, the, in Antarctica? The, the short answer is yes, <laughs> uh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, any kind of genetic modification you want to make. We already, we've already been working on genetically modifying extremophiles mm -hmm. to do things that we want them to do. Uh, so that's been going on a long time, but now it's just easier and cheaper because of CRISPR. Sure. But yeah, you, uh, doing some kind of recombinant thing where you give people special <laughs> powers of X-Men, of course, then you're going to run into ethical problem, and that's what we should talk about now. That's what Let's I was talk about the trouble, the trouble with CRISPR, any kind of ethical. Uh, I think the big thing, you know, the Chinese scientists that did do a germline modification to a human embryo, that was a big deal because nobody really, uh, well, he. Didn't think about the consequences. If you knock out, and what he did, uh, essentially, I think if I can recall, he um, modified, he knocked out a gene for T helper cells that uh, it makes some sort of a surface receptor for T helper cells that allows HIV to invade Infect. T helper cells. Yeah. And that's what HIV does. It invades them, kills them, and after uh, several generations of killing T helper cells, your immune system can't function anymore, and you get all these opportunistic infections, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, right? So he didn't think about what other problems those T helper cells could have with that knockout of function. And so uh, the, the baby that was born from that experiment, uh, people will be watching it closely, I'm sure. But that is, a, you know, that's, that's the main kind of hurdle right now with any kind of human modification is you got to watch out for this kind of domino effect, the snowball effect. What other problems could you introduce by uh, making these kind of cuts? Uh, unintended consequences. So that's one of the big things. And that's why it's going to be a long time in our country before you see... You know, it's going to go through lots of approval. FDA is going to have to sign off on it. It's going to take a long time uh, before this kind of gets uh, catch, caught up with to where we realize that, you know, when we do this change, it's going to be a good, healthy and, change. Uh, I would like to point out that uh, I think um, this just came out, and I read this yesterday night. So this is just one simple paragraph about the Chinese uh, scientist who did that. It's, uh, I'm going to read this out from Guardian, like word for word. Uh, the gene editing performed with the Chinese twins. So it was twins, not like right. uh, just That's cool. Bit. So you could, yeah. uh, did he do it in both the twins? Yes. Uh, both. Oh, okay. uh, I would have thought he would do it in one so that he could see. I think he did it in both twins. So he could have a control. Yeah. He could have a yeah. control. Well. Um, 
So tunes to immunize them against HIV may have failed and created unintended mutations. Scientists have said that after the original research was made public for the first time. And what was I was just reading through it is very... Very scary that the person um, uh, who did the, like, uh, they, at the end of the article, it said, like, um, uh, uh, authors also ha- also appeared to have taken steps to make it hard to find the family, like leaving the names of the fertility doctors off the paper and including a false date of birth. So, Well, that's uh, that's kind of par for the course, though, because a lot of times for privacy purposes, uh, you never know who any of the patients for any of these studies are. And that makes sense. But um, yeah, that's that. It's troubling, and you know. So that's one of the big. That is amazing. That as soon as CRISPR kind of really hit the world stage, uh, immediately a controversy that kind of demonstrates the ethical implications was there. The other stuff, the other pitfalls of CRISPR, kind of mostly technical. How do you deliver the new gene into cells in a human body? Uh, what kind of off-target effects? You're trying to affect one target. Would uh, you introduce this? Gene, uh, are there, uh, you know, domino effect that uh, go after other kinds of things? Um, you know, other problems, uh, this is kind of a good one. Uh, if you try to introduce CRISPR, your immune system will typically notice it. It's a big fat enzyme, Cas9. They're mm. big, big proteins. And so your immune system is going to recognize it as not your own and it's going to tackle it. So trying to use CRISPR in uh, the context of a human body where your immune system is going to try to attack it, those are t- all technical problems, though. And that, uh, most, of the, most of that kind of stuff with using CRISPR where a lot of scientists are saying, hey, hey, wait a second, this isn't going to be the cure for cancer necessarily. It's all because of th- there's still a lot of technical issues involved in making it work. So, and, uh, and basically, we just want to make one thing clear before we start de- demonizing the parents and everybody. It's uh, one thing we do have to remember that if you are a parent and if you know your child is going to have a genetic disorder and you have only one shot and there's only one shot having a child would you not take the risk because these are the questions we uh, we before we start demonizing everybody it's very hard to because if you know your kid is going to have a genetic disorder coming out and CRISPR can treat it what you do is how would you play it now my so guess my guess is yeah this is the classic kind of conundrum it's like it's really it's research. really easy for us yeah. uh, to say, say sitting here right now oh we better watch out because you're not the one who has a you know 95% chance of inheriting this genetic mm-hmm. disorder or living with it for your whole life. life so i think that in in the future that's where we're going to be is that we're going to work out the kinks we're going to work out a lot of these technical problems and in 50 years people will be like wow can you believe that we once lived in a world without CRISPR? And where we could not walk around in shots in Antarctica. Right. Yes. That's exactly. The, that's the point. Because we of the make, gene yes. put into us from a <laughs> extremophile. I yes. like that. Yeah. And hey, we hope that you enjoyed this show and tune in next week as well, because as always, we're going to have great new science topics for you to listen to. Good night, everybody. Good morning. Whatever time <laughs> it is, I always forget. We're the Science Knights. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. 
couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K. And we'll see you next time.